Good evening and welcome to Windsor Baptist Church on another sunny Sunday evening. Um, it's great to see so many of you here. Um, tonight we're just come to worship God together. Um, given the service is generally a bit quieter in the evening, we just encourage people to stay at the end and chat and maybe get to know somebody that they haven't maybe met before. Uh, my name's Kat Steele and I'm married to Drew and we've been coming to Windsor Baptist for a year and a half now. And we joined Windsor Baptist shortly after returning from Sydney, Australia. So as you can imagine, we were slightly forlorn, uh, leaving all the sunny weather to come back to Belfast. But um, in all seriousness, we have been so thankful um, for how welcoming you've been to us and how you've welcomed, welcomed us into your church family. Um, and, and we just thank you for that. Um, so tonight, um, we are continuing the Nine a Day series, um, and we're looking at the teaching of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And tonight, Dave is going to speak to us about gentleness. Um, I have to admit, I was a wee bit devastated because I had calculated that I was going to lead the service, forgetting that there was a praise service last week. And um, I thought we were going to do self-control. And I was like, brilliant. I have mastered self-control. <laughs> it has been a month since I have picked out any of those chocolates that always lie about on the wards in a hospital. Uh, Self-control, I've got it sorted, if only it was that simple. But gentleness is slightly different. Um, any of you out there who know me well, and certainly I think Drew could write a book, um, gentleness is sometimes something that I personally struggle with. Um, I've been known in the past probably to be a little bit feisty. Um, and my own mother said, thank goodness for Drew, because I think he pacifies you. <laughs> um, so, so no pressure, Dave, um, but I've got a lot to learn tonight, and I, I will be listening to what God says through you. Um, but in all seriousness, um, I think pearl gentleness, I think gentleness in our world today has been forgotten about. And sometimes I think in the cutthroat, um, got to succeed, got to be efficient, got to do things well, I think sometimes gentleness is nearly seen in our world as a weakness. Um, but as I prepared tonight and read and prayed and, and looked to God's word about what gentleness is, I believe that that, that is not what God says about gentleness at all. And in fact, uh, when the Bible, it, many references to gentleness in the Bible are about conflict and are about challenging our Christian brothers and sisters, big topics. And, and I genuinely believe that uh, gentleness is, is really can be so powerful. Um, uh, the New King James version of Psalm 1835 says, You have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. Your gentleness has made me great. So um, I'm going to pray and then we're just going to have our first section of praise. Um, and I just want to reflect and celebrate God's gentle mightiness and strength. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you after busy weeks. We thank you through whatever is going on with us. You and your love is unchanging. Nudge us, Lord, and shake us tonight to help us to recognize your mighty love and your splendor and help us to worship in spirit and in truth. O oh Lord, our God, your majestic name fills the earth and your glory is higher than the heavens. Amen.
Good evening. I'd like to run through the announcements for the week ahead. Um, there isn't too many with the summer starting. On Tuesday evening, remember the elders as they meet at half seven. On Wednesday evening, we meet for prayer at eight in the church hall. And then next Sunday at 10.30 and 7, David again will be speaking at both services. Um, if you're a subscriber to Bible Reading Notes and you haven't yet picked up um, your latest copies, they're available in the entrance hall. Um, as we said this morning, for parents, just to note, there's no junior church for the month of July. Um, and we have some Windsor family news that we received this afternoon. Hetty McMillan, David McMillan's mother, uh, passed away this afternoon. So uh, let's remember David and Dorothy and the wider family. Alice. Sorry, I just was so shocked to hear that about David's mother. Um, and it seems very relevant now to talk about this. Um, I'm Alice Taylor, for those of you who don't know, um, don't know me. And um, I talked about this this morning, um, but I'm trying to catch up and mop up, if you like, on maybe the people that weren't here this morning. I want to tell you about a course that Louise Quinn and I hope to run in starting on the 22nd of September for five consecutive Mondays. Um, Grief Encounters Information of Support just describes what it is about. Um, loss is very much a part of our lives. And three minutes ago, we we're hearing about another particular type of loss, a bereavement. Um, and Bereavement is very specific. It's when we lose somebody uh, who, um, who somebody dies who's very close to us. And with, as with any loss, um, life is disrupted. And you know that order we have in our lives when everything just seems to be going on, on quite nicely, then something happens and it is totally disrupted. Um, so bereavement is... Um, Oh, grief encounters, there's a word missing there, actually. It should say grief encounters, semicolon, um, bereavement information and support. Um, sorry about that. Um, but bereavement is what happens to us. Grief is how we feel. And it's actually a very good word, grief, because it's, it's based on Latin root gravis, um, meaning heavy. And any of us that have had a, a situation like that know exactly what that feels like. So what Louise and I hope to do in this court is to, course is to give information to help understand that whole process of grieving and more importantly to provide support for those who, um, who um, um, for each other, hence the word encounters. Prayer support is also going to be a very crucial part of this. This morning I quoted from a book um, uh, that was written by Julian Barnes. He wrote it after Levels of Life, it is called, and he wrote it after his much-loved wife died. When he was describing his life before she died, he said, when he described it as, when my life was on the level. And what grief does, it just destroys that level, totally disrupts it, sometimes slowly, sometimes very, very quickly. Um, and that's what Louise and I hope um, to be able to address and to help people find the new level of their lives. It'll never get back to the same, but that new level. Can I tell you at this point what it's not? It's not counselling. It is information and support. We'll have a lot more information in August. 
including a leaflet and an outline of the programme. Um, it's open to anyone belonging to the Windsor family. But also, if you have any friend or um, a relative um, from outside the church that you feel would benefit from this, please talk to us about that. Um, they would be more than welcome. So don't hesitate, at, even at this stage, to talk to Louise and I about it. As I said, we'll have a lot more information for you in August. Thank you. So as we take our offering, um, we're going to watch a video from Japan. Um, and this was sent from one of our mission families, uh, Laura Jane and Ho Mays. Um, they moved to Sendai in Japan with their um, son Joseph earlier on this year. Um, and this video just gives a little bit of an insight into their life um, in Japan so far and uh, mentions a few points for how we can pray for them. Um, so, so during this video, our offering is going to be collected. If you're a visitor, um, please let the uh, bag pass you by. Um, so let's watch. Hello, everyone. We send you a few photos from our life uh, in Sendai, Japan. And thank you for praying for us. We thank God for answering our prayers uh, regarding Joseph and after uh, doing English at home he get, gets on the bus to kindergarten and he seemed to be uh, very happy now and enjoying making new friends there and we thank you for praying for him. first year we are working with Rod and Glenda Thomas as well as together with Tadamitsu, the evangelist of the church. And this is our church building and this is what's happening uh, on Sunday morning service. And we have English class about half an hour before the service starts and Laura Jane is teaching these children who are living nearby the church. On Thursdays, I'm enjoying teaching English at a girls' university. Please pray for meaningful interaction with these students. The introduction to this university came from Jim and Terry Grace, who've worked a long time in Sendai. We will work more closely with them from April next year when we form a student-focused team in Sendai and have more of a strong uh, work together with them to reach out to students. Please pray that we would be able to maintain good connections to these students while the Graces are in America during this year, and pray that many of them eventually would come to know the Lord. This is the Japanese Elkowa tree that David spoke on our commissioning service. Please pray as we witness here in Japan that we continue to be rooted in scripture and rooted in God's love and rooted in Christ himself. And please pray for the student work here. Thank you. Thank you for your prayers and for your fellowship. And may the Lord bless you as you pray for his work in Japan and for Japanese people. Heavy blessings. Bye-bye. Bye.
the drummers are going to have a bit of competition on their hands in a year or so. <laughs> um, so we're just going to take some time in prayer now, and we're going to remember Lord Jane and Ho and Joseph in our prayers. So um, I just ask you just to um, just have a few minutes of silent prayer coming before God before, before I lead us in prayer. Thank you that Ho, Laura Jane and Joseph have settled into life in Sendai, Japan. Thank you that Joseph has settled into kindergarten and is making friends. And we pray for him. We pray that he would know your love for him and that he would be filled with your joy daily. We pray that Ho and Laura Jane would continue to be rooted in your love and rooted in your word. We pray that they would know your heart for Sendai. We ask that you would continue to build strong relationships with their fellow church members, break down walls of culture and language and enable them to be true assets to the church family. We pray for English classes, both for church children and university students. Help Lord Jane to build relationships with the students and reveal your character and love through her. And we also pray that you would bless them and their time as a family in this new place, far away from their extended families. I pray that you would just, they would just know you as their father. We, we also pray for short-term mission going on this summer. And we thank you for a great weekend at Summer Madness that the youth had. And we pray for Exodus, for SISM, for SU camps, and all other local and international trips this summer. May you go with your servants. Um, as they live to honour you this summer, I just pray that people will come to know your love and grace through this work. Lord, as we think about our church family and our community, we lift up our prayers to those who are suffering, those who are lonely and those who are bereaved. Surround each broken and hurting soul with your love. May they know that you are close to the brokenhearted and that you rescue those whose spirits are crushed. We think about those unwell and suffering in the city hospital just metres away from where we worship. Lord, I pray that you be in that place. Surround those who are hurting, heal those who are sick, and Lord, I pray that you would comfort the families who watch their loved ones suffer. And Lord, I pray that those who are approaching the end of their life would know you and recognise you as their Lord and Saviour. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. And we pray in your son's name. Amen. Um, so we're going to have another time of praise and just to focus on asking God to mould and change our hearts before Dave comes to speak to us. Just before the band play, I just want to share something with you. It wasn't planned until I got home on, on Friday and my colleagues and I have had quite a difficult week in work, and quite, a, quite a sad and emotional week in work. Um, and I found something that a friend from a church in Leeds had written um, and I can only describe it as um, utter indulgent worship. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to sing. Uh, no one would come back if I sang. Um, but I just want to read you this, and I want you to have a bit of indulgent worship. Um, so I just ask maybe that you just sit back, relax, and close your eyes and listen. Oh. 
Although I was self-loving, self-admiring, self-sustaining, self-fulfilling, self-glorifying, self-governing, self-pitying, self-mocking, self-doubting, self-destroying, self-hating, I am now a child of God. His love is an extreme love, a supreme love. It is incomparable, unequivocal, unmistakable, irrevocable, indisputable, inexhaustible. He is the sovereign King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of peace, Messiah, Redeemer, Good Shepherd, Morning Star. He is the way, the truth, the light, the life, the vine, the rock, the word, high priest, saviour, living water, lion of Judah, anointed one. The resurrection, Emmanuel, God with us, and he will raise me, praise me, comfort me, console me, encourage me, empower me, inspire me, infuse me, reassure me, refresh me, strengthen me and steady me. The world may seem desirable, enviable, preferable, beneficial, but heaven is eternal, immortal, perpetual, continual, imperishable, prevailing, remaining, unending, abiding, boundless, ceaseless. I will rejoice him, revere him, praise him, thank him, follow him, honor him, trust him, serve him. Celebrate him, glorify him, believe him, worship him, fear him, adore him, exalt him. He will never abandon me, desert me, forsake me, leave me, renounce me, surrender me, reject me, disgrace me, humiliate me, for he has called me his own. Amen.
evening, everyone. And thank you so much, Kat, for leading us this evening. As uh, Kat has said, we, we come to the penultimate segment uh, of the fruit of the Spirit, which is gentleness. And I, I don't know about you, but I've got to be really honest and, and say that for me, this is probably the least striking of the nine. It's maybe even the least appealing of the nine. I was saying just before the service, the, the other eight grabbed me. I can immediately see the value in being more loving and more joyful and more peaceful. Kindness is such an attractive quality in another human being. Patience, although difficult, is vital. Faithfulness resonates. Self-control, which we'll be looking at next week, is so necessary in a world of excess. But gentleness just doesn't really seem to carry the same weight. It doesn't seem so gripping or so essential. And maybe part of the reason for my, my reaction, and I was, I was trying to think about this this week, maybe part of the reason for my, my reaction is because that, that I am a bloke. And, uh, yeah, I am. And therefore, and therefore, gentleness seems a bit too, and I'm not sure of the word to say here, weak, tame. I have written down here girly, but I've decided not to say that. And, and so, for example, you know the phrase, and I think it's the hymn, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. I'll be honest, that really grates on me. Real, I, I react to that. And I don't know if anyone else feels like this or, or whether it is just me, but I also know that having spent some time this week thinking about gentleness in a bit more depth, that what I tend to associate with this segment does need to be challenged. And my thinking about this characteristic does need to be stretched. Charles Swindle said this when he was writing about gentleness. Immediately we get the wrong impression, and I think that's right. In our tough and rugged individualism, we think of gentleness as weakness. It's all about being soft virtually spineless. And I can identify with that. I get that perspective. And yet, as Swindle goes on to say, not so. The Greek term is extremely colorful, helping us grasp a correct understanding of why the Lord sees the need for servants to be gentle. And so, as we explore this eighth characteristic of fruitful Christians, of spirit-led disciples, I hope and pray that our desire will be to see gentleness ripen in our lives. But what is it? How would you define gentleness? A bit of congregational participation has been a while. How would you define gentleness? Not having to be right. Thanks, Ashley. Handling people with care. Thanks, Stephen. What is gentleness? Harnessed strength. Thank you, Gordon. Come on up and speak. <laughs> Anything else? Gentleness, how you would define it? The, uh, the original word 
for gentleness is apparently quite tricky to translate. William Barclay, the kind of theologian and, and has written many commentaries, but here's what he wrote. He said, with, and I'm, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that, that kind of original word, but he said, with that, here's his here's thinking, because he, he said it was notoriously hard to translate. But he said this, it means we treat all men with perfect courtesy. We can rebuke without rancor. We argue without intolerance. We can face the truth without resentment. We can be angry, yet sin not. We can be gentle and yet not weak. Well, one of the first things that, that I want to say is that gentleness is fundamental to our relationships. It's fundamental to good human relationships within family life, work life, social life, where the temptation to react negatively, and maybe this was Kat, what Kat was getting at at the start of the, seven, but the, or the service, but the temptation to react negatively, harshly, aggressively to what someone has said or what someone has done or not said or, or not done, where that temptation is strong, and I'll guarantee you all of us face that kind of temptation day in and day out, to react to what someone has said in a harsh way, in an aggressive way. Gentleness makes a phenomenal difference and potentially saves or certainly preserves relationships. Gentle responses and reactions transform situations, which is partly why I think the writer of Proverbs, that Old Testament collection of divine wisdom for life, that's what he was getting at or they were getting at when they wrote these words and offered this sterling advice. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. It's true, isn't it? A gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. As someone else has written in response to that proverb, if we are gentle, the tension is more likely to dissolve, whereas a harsh reply will be like pouring gasoline on a fire. And I'll guarantee you all of us can identify with that. We've all been there, maybe even this afternoon. We see and we know how damaging harsh words and reactions can be, and therefore we, we readily recognize how different, different our relationships can be and would be whenever gentleness is practiced and present. So gentleness is fundamental to human relationships. Back to Charles Swindle, because here's what he goes on to say a couple of paragraphs after that earlier quote. So then, gentleness includes, he says, being calm and peaceful when surrounded by a heated atmosphere. Is that you? Emitting a soothing effect on those who may be angry or otherwise besides themselves. And possessing tact and gracious courtesy that causes others to retain their self-esteem and dignity. Brilliant. Now, that is something I do find deeply appealing and attractive. And in a world and in a society where hostility and suspicion and raised voices and aggression and relational breakdown and dysfunction appear to be the increasing norm, just sit down for an evening and watch a bunch of TV soaps and so-called reality shows and you'll see what I mean. Just a world characterized by harshness, aggressive language relational dysfunction breakdown. Do you know in that kind of environment, 
Gentleness is a welcome relief and it is deeply countercultural. Let's tease this out even further, deal with some of the bad press. As we've already said, gentleness is often misunderstood as weakness. It's, on, it's kind of thought of as a lack of internal strength, and yet that is so far removed from a biblical understanding of this characteristic. And therefore, let me just throw out a few different definitions and, and, and comments. Gentleness, and maybe this is Gordon's part, harnessed strength. De- gentleness is strength under control. It's the ability to respond to pressure, arguments, and rejection without rage and bitterness. Gentle people are balanced. They don't overreact, nor do they underreact. Come back to that. People who are mature in this quality pardon and forgive those who have injured them. They know when to speak words of correction and when to remain quiet. And this is possibly my favorite kind of definition and maybe sums up all the others brilliantly. Gentleness is the strength of being tender. The strength of being tender. Here's another great quote. Nothing is so strong as gentleness. Nothing so gentle as real strength. Nothing is so strong as gentleness. Nothing so gentle as real strength. Now what I want to do is is something that we've, or at least I've attempted to do in the times when I've been, been looking at these segments. I want to identify and kind of anchor this in God's character. Because part of the reason we can ever hope to reflect any of these nine characteristics is because we have been made in the image of God. We can only ever be loving because God is love. We can only ever be gentle because of the gentleness of God. But as people who've been made in the image of God, we can reflect something of that character. But again, the gentleness of God, I I would suggest, is not one of his first characteristics we tend to think of. So we're far more likely likely to draw attention to his faithfulness and his love or his patience and his kindness. But but this aspect of God's character, this God-like strength of being tender, although we're maybe not immediately drawn to it, yet it's written all over Scripture. I was really struck by this journey, including the, the Old Testament. It may not explicitly say that God is gentle on lots of occasions. Cat did read one from the Psalms for, for us this evening. But there's not a lot of times in Scripture where it will just say God is gentle. But it comes across on a number of occasions. Let me just give you a couple of very well-known examples. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23. If there's ever one picture or one image to associate or which captures the gentleness of God, here it is. God is my, is our shepherd. Caring, leading, providing, guiding. God is our shepherd. The strength of being tender. Another example of the gentleness of God comes across in Elijah's life, particularly after the Mount Carmel incident where Elijah challenges 450 prophets of Baal to see whose God could could ignite the sacrifice by fire. And we all know that Elijah's God wins the day. But then Elijah, it says, does a runner. And whenever God catches up with his depressed prophet, 
who actually wanted to kill himself after that incident. Whenever God catches up with his depressed prophet, God does two things immediately which exemplify gentleness. First thing he does is he lets Elijah sleep and rest. And then an angel feeds him. And then he takes Elijah, this rather beat up and burnt out prophet, to a familiar place, to a cave at Mount Sinai. And we read that then God draws alongside this beat up and burnt out prophet. But God doesn't come to Elijah in the strong wind or in the earthquake that rips mountains and rocks apart. He doesn't come in fire. Instead, how does it say God comes to this beat up and burnt out prophet? How does he come? In a still, small voice. Or as it says in some translations, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The gentleness of God. The strength of being tender. And so it's clearly anchored in God. But it's also glaringly obvious in the life and example of Jesus. On one occasion, and actually this is the only occasion whenever Jesus describes himself. I know some of you know this. The only time that Jesus describes himself, he uses these words. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for, only time Jesus describes himself, for I am gentle and humble in heart. The words he chooses to describe himself, gentleness, humility. And his gentleness came across with people time and time again. Yes, he was strong, but he was tender couple of examples, and again, obvious examples I know, but how he spoke to and related to the woman at the well in John 4 is amazing. He connected, he spoke truth, he didn't duck the difficult issues, he challenged the mindset of lots of people, including his own disciples, he confronted, but all of this was marked with gentleness, right up to the point that a Samaritan woman walked away from her encounter with Jesus, feeling loved and affirmed. And encouraged, do you know something I'm going to do life differently now? Jesus was strong with her. There was strength in being tender. He was gentle. The other incident, uh, a little later on in John's gospel, the woman caught in adultery. People were wanting Jesus to react in a particular way. They, They were expecting him to come down like a ton of bricks on this sinful woman. They were wanting Jesus to sanction an aggressive response, but Jesus doesn't. Instead, he demonstrates incredible gentleness. He's strong, yes, he challenges not only the accusers, but he does challenge the woman. He says, please, sin no more. But he's tender. And therefore, she can walk through that crowd with her head held high because Jesus has made it clear, I don't condemn you. A new future lay ahead for that woman. She's not now written off or defined by her past. The strength in being tender, that that was Jesus. And the third example of the gentleness of Jesus that I I could think of and strikes me is, is how he handles Peter after his denial. Jesus cooks him breakfast on a beach. 
He doesn't avoid the issue. He's direct. He's strong with Peter. And three times, and we all know the irony of that, but three times he asks Peter, do, do you love me? And Peter responds positively every time as Jesus gently restores him over a meal and honest conversation. And then Jesus launches Peter out into the amazing privilege of feeding his sheep. The gentleness of Jesus, the strength of being tender transforms lives and situations. Gentleness is not only a characteristic of God, it's a characteristic of Jesus. But whenever we talk about the gentleness of Jesus, there is at least one incident that people find difficult to reconcile. And it's the time whenever Jesus appears to lose it and wrecks all around him in the temple area recorded in Matthew 21, where he overturns tables and he sends people running for cover. There's nothing gentle as we understand gentle or as most people understand gentle in Jesus in these moments or in his actions. But again, don't forget that gentleness is strength under control. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He wasn't acting impulsively. He hadn't flipped it. He hadn't lost it. He hadn't overreacted or underacted. In fact, due to the very serious nature of this situation, a strong but controlled response was absolutely necessary. Before Jesus did what he did, he said this. He said, listen, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. You see, being gentle doesn't mean letting everything or anything go. It's so important we get this. It doesn't mean turning a blind eye to what is blatantly wrong and not challenging and not being strong and not confronting. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean we should never challenge injustice or that if and when we do, we must do it passively. It doesn't mean staying silent or speaking in hushed tones every single time. For Jesus, there were lines that when crossed demanded a strong but a controlled response. This was one of them. You see, for Jesus, people in this situation were, were being exploited in the name of religion. These merchants were making excessive gains from people's need to buy sacrifices. And whenever Jesus came across hypocrisy and injustice, whenever he came across people taking advantage of others, and especially whenever that was given some kind of religious veneer, his reaction was always calculated but firm. Jesus in this moment didn't park gentleness. He didn't stop being gentle and as a result compromise his character. He stayed true to who he was. He remained gentle. And therefore nothing was contradictory about his actions or behavior in what is a slightly shocking incident for many people. But it's strength under control. So there's the greatness of God in the New Testament and as those made in God's image, we are to reflect this characteristic. There's the gentleness of Jesus in the New Testament and as those who are called to walk as Christ walked, let's embrace that example. And then finally, in the, in the last few minutes, let's look at some of the, the very clear instructions from the rest of the New Testament regarding this segment and this attitude and this action. To start with, in our relationships with one another, we should be gentle and people should know that about us. 
We should be gentle and people should know that about us. Whenever, whenever Paul was winding up his letters to the, or his letter to the believers at Philippi, and he was coming to the end and, and he wanted to share some final instructions and pieces of advice for living the Christian life with integrity, he includes this single, simple command. Let your gentleness be evident to everyone. Everyone. Then he adds this little bit, the Lord is near. Not quite sure why you think he added that little bit. But let your gentleness be evident to everyone. People have got to identify this about us. Or whenever Paul is writing to Titus about the fact that we have been saved in order to do good, which is such a strong and important biblical value. We're not saved because we are good, and we're not good in order to be saved, okay? But we are saved in order to do good. And as Paul speaks into this issue in Titus, he explains what it looks like in practice. Here's what, here's what it looks like to be saved to do good. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle towards everyone. Do you know, as I, as I kind of reflected on those two verses this week, I thought, you know, if I could just take those two verses away and live those... That's what it kind of looks like to be saved in order to, be, to do good. People who know us or come into contact with us on a relatively regular basis should be aware of our gentleness. Always be gentle towards everyone. They should see it. They should observe it. They should experience, they should taste this fruit in our lives. And the next thing I want to say is, do you know, we've got to go after this. I said earlier there's something definitely countercultural about this characteristic. It doesn't come naturally. I don't believe it does for many of us. It certainly isn't the way of the world. And so I believe we've got to actively pursue it. And the reason that I say that is based on Paul's advice to Timothy. And this actually, this, this next bit I'm going to show you comes as part of Paul's kind of final challenge to his young protege. He says this, but you, man of God, flee all this, things he's been talking about to avoid. Pursue righteousness and a godly life. Faith, always live with faith, along with faith, love, perseverance, and then this, gentleness. Pursue it. Chase it down. Seek after it. Which begs this question, how? Again, I know you're fading, stick with me. How do we pursue gentleness? And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, pursue these things. Never mind the rest of it, but pursue How do we do that? Somebody suggest an answer. How do you pursue gentleness? 
just a decision, a conscious decision. Okay? Anyone else? How you pursue it? Think before you act. Do you know one associated piece of advice on this is found in Colossians 3. Whenever Paul instructs Christians there on what to wear, we all know this, but Paul says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Clothe yourselves with it. In the same way that you get dressed every morning, make sure you don't leave the house without putting this on. Clothe yourself properly. There's an, there's an act of choice involved in this for me. Yes, we pray, we need God's help, we're filled with God's spirit who produces this fruit within our lives. But I've got to, today, God, I choose to wear gentleness. I'm going to think before I act. I'm making a conscious decision. Two more thoughts. When it comes to evangelism, when it comes to speaking to others about our faith, when it comes to talking to people about Christianity, the priority of gentleness is essential. And I reckon there's a massive lesson to learn here in an increasingly secular, multi-faith context. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. But how are we to do this? With gentleness and respect. Oh, if only. Oh, if only. We give a hope for the reason with gentleness and respect. Or reason for the hope with gentleness and respect. And the final aspect of this segment that I want to highlight is that it's got to determine how we treat those in the church who mess up. Do you know, people around us will make mistakes. People here will make mistakes. Christians still sin. I still sin. But part of what it means to be good and to do good as a church community is to restore those who get it wrong and to restore them gently. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And sadly, this is not always the case or experience. There are far too many stories of people who were once part of our churches who, yes, made poor choices, yes, made bad decisions, who did sin, but rather than gentle restoration, they encountered harsh judgment, scathing words, total silence, or outright rejection. And part of what it means to be a Christian community, a community of people who live by the Spirit, means we reach out and gently restore those who have fallen on their faces to constantly welcome prodigals back into the fellowship of the forgiven. And essential to that process is gentleness. And so the more I've thought about this eighth segment, the more I've considered gentleness and the character of God, gentleness and the example of Jesus, gentleness in the life of the disabled, the more I've realized just how striking and how appealing and how essential it is and, and my prayer is that the strength of being tender would increasingly characterize my life our lives and the life and witness of this church the strength of being tender let's pray together
Almighty, gentle God. Thank you for this characteristic of yours that we encounter so often in Scripture. The shepherd who cares and leads and guides and protects and looks out for and draws alongside is there when we walk through the valleys. Who comes at times to us in a gentle whisper. Jesus, thank you for your example. Thank you that you are gentle and humble. Strong, but you exhibit strength under control. Help us to walk as you walked. And as we engage with the rest of Scripture, we, we recognize that our gentleness is to be evident to everyone to those we live with, to those we work with, study with, socialize with. And so God, help us to pursue it, to wear it, to give a reason for the hope that we have in you with gentleness and respect. And God, whenever those around us mess up, help us to draw alongside and gently restore them. I ask that this eighth segment of your Holy Spirit would ripen and develop in my life and in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Let's stand together and close with the splendor of the King clothed in majesty.
fine coffee is on this evening for uh, young adults out in the, the porta cabin uh, immediately after this. You're welcome to go across there. Uh, there's also prayer available, as we often say after the service. If anybody would like someone to pray with them, Gordon here, Carolyn here, uh, are available if, you, if you'd like to pray about any issue, anything raised tonight or anything that you're facing this week uh, that you'd love someone to just pray with you about. So let me just pray, and I'd, I'd like to particularly just remember David uh, McMillan uh, and for the wider family as they grieve and mourn and make arrangements for a funeral service this week. Let's pray together. God, as a church family, we stand before you and we do lift up those who are hurting this evening, who are grieving, and we pray particularly for David and for Dorothy and for the wider family circle. We thank you for Mrs. McMillan. Thank you for her life. Thank you that the suffering is over. And so, God, we commit that family to you now, particularly as they make arrangements for a funeral service, a service of thanksgiving. God, I pray your blessing on them, that they will be very aware of your gentle presence this week. For those who will take part, for those who will lead that service, I pray for great wisdom and an awareness that you are there for them and with them. And so, God, I commit each of us to you now. Thank you for all that we have thought about this evening. Thank you for everything we have prayed and sung. And God, again, as we often say, may you have received all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.